0: So grateful for Dave and for this team. My goodness, what a great worship service. What a great way to be in today. Um, also, uh, I appreciate so much the work that CJ does. does a great job, not only with the teens, but also with the young adults. And now he has taken one more thing on, and that is making sure that the notes for each sermon go on you version. So if you have that particular app on your phone, you can join us. On you, version. And uh, thank you, CJ, for doing that. Uh, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 18 this morning. Matthew 18. And we're going to be reading a parable of Jesus um, in a sermon entitled Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Beginning with verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, Talents. Now that would be the equivalent, if you're counting here, of 80,000 years of wages. And since he could not pay, understatement of the year, his master ordered him to be sold his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But then that same servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. That would be the equivalent of a little over three months' wages. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Ah, but he refused. And he went and he put him in prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master, all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay back all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Jesus, be the center. Be the absolute center of our hearts. Know that we have lifted up worship to you, but it is worship that continues. Father, We are so blessed to be a part of your family, to know that through the blood of Jesus Christ we have forgiveness. And it is our prayer, Father, that as we continue our worship of you, as we continue to acknowledge your goodness, your love, your mercy, your grace, that, Father, you will continue to work in our hearts to bring about the changes that you desire. Father, it is, it is certainly your desire that everyone would call on the name of the Lord. That everyone would come to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That they would confess Jesus as Lord. That they would repent of their sins and have their sins forever washed away. Be filled, be filled with your Spirit, Father, and walk a new life. As children of God, that is your desire for every single human being. And we pray, Father, that if there is someone here today that is not yet a child of God, that today will be the day of salvation. For those of us who already know what it truly means to call you Father, may we listen carefully to what you have to say to us. May your spirit direct us and guide us and show us, Father, what you would have us to be, what you would have us to do. Teach us. We're ready to listen to you, Father. Speak to us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You may have heard the story of the violinist who noticed his playing had a hypnotic effect on his audiences. They would sit motionless, as though they were in a trance. And he even found that he had the same effect on his friend's pets. I mean, dogs and cats would sit spellbound while he played the violin. Wondering if he could cast the same spell over wild beasts, he traveled to the deepest, darkest jungle in the wildest part of the world. And he took out his violin and he began to play. Sure enough, a lion, an elephant, and a gorilla. They all charged into the clearing and then abruptly stopped to listen, sitting mesmerized by the music. And soon the clearing was 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 filled with every kind of ferocious animal, and each one of those animals were sitting there listening intently. And then suddenly, another lion charged out of the jungle, pounced on the violinist, and killed him instantly. The first lion, bewildered, asked, Why did you do that? To which the second lion cupped his ear with his paw and said, What? Oh yeah, yeah. This afternoon you'll get that, okay? Assumptions. Assumptions can be dangerous, but I'm going to begin with one this morning. I I, I want to begin with the assumption: none of us is perfect, and all of us know it, right? You know, especially those of us who have gathered here for worship of a holy God. We understand, don't we, our own spiritual imperfections. We understand, we know that all, including all of us, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our salvation rests solely on the forgiveness of that one and the same God. And we're not just talking about the sins we sinned before we got saved. No, we're also talking about those sins we sinned since. Those we've committed and continue to commit day by day. Oh, we're most assuredly better in character than we once were. But thank God for the grace He continues to provide because, well, we're not only saved by grace, we are kept saved by grace. Amen? Amen. Amen. But the Bible doesn't just teach that we need God's forgiveness for our sins. Our text makes it very clear we're obligated as children of God to forgive others the sins they sin against us. And if you've ever had your heart trampled by a fellow human being, especially a fellow believer, then you know how difficult such forgiveness is to give. Yet our Father expects no less. Before we get into the why or even the how, let's begin with a definition. First of all, what is forgiveness? This word is used often in our culture, but definitions vary greatly. From grudgingly not holding someone accountable for their actions to not resenting someone who has done us wrong. Some will forgive, while using reminders of the offending act as a sort of club to show the offender just how lucky they are to be forgiven. Still, others, they create levels of forgiveness, right? You know, I I, I can forgive this, but I could never forgive that. At the heart of it all is typically a failure to understand the true nature of biblical forgiveness. There are two verbs translated to forgive in the New Testament. One, used often by Paul, means to bestow favor unconditionally. It's closely related to the word that is translated grace. In a sense, when we forgive, we're imitating God. We're giving someone something good that they don't deserve. That's grace. And that's, that's the way we want God to treat us, right? Right? I mean, if we all got what we deserved, if we all got justice, we'd all be in trouble. We want God to treat us with a grace kind of forgiveness. And that's the way we're expected to treat one another. The most common word for forgiveness in the New Testament literally means to send something away. It's often used of canceling a financial debt, like the king did for the man in Jesus' story. But it's also used to refer to canceling or sending away our our sin debt. Both man's sin before God and man's sin against his fellow man. But it makes you wonder, right? Is there a difference between how God forgives us and how we forgive others? There were several that I could think of. One difference is that God has the capacity to remove our sins from his memory. Jeremiah chapter 31-34. Uh, God says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, I don't think God Almighty forgets like we forget. I, you know, I forgot where I put my keys. I forgot where I put... No, it, don't picture God as being absent-minded. But God does have a much greater capacity to focus on what's relevant and only what's relevant. See, you probably have noticed that our emotions play around with our memories, constantly reminding us of what that person did or what that person said, right? It replays over and over and over again But God is not plagued by such Mind games. Another difference is that we do not have the authority to absolve a person of guilt before God. Only God can cleanse the heart, and that only through the blood of Jesus. In other words, we can forgive someone, and that person can still be lost. But it's also true that just because we stubbornly refuse to forgive someone, that does not mean that that person is lost because of our refusal to forgive. There's only one God, and we're not him. In our text, Peter comes to Jesus with a question. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, the rabbis, the teachers of Jesus' day, taught that under most circumstances, we should put a cap of three on the number of times that we forgive someone. And frankly, that, that sounds to most people pretty reasonable, right? If someone hurts us, we forgive them. They hurt us again, we forgive a second time. Uh, but this time... This time with a little more caution when it comes to our relationship. And then, a third time it happens. We forgive this time, but most would say to the offending party, never again. It appears Peter had been listening to Jesus. If the Pharisees said three, and Jesus made it obvious over and again that his standards were much higher than the Pharisees, then the right answer had to be more than three. It's also possible that Peter was trying to earn some points with Jesus. You know, making his ceiling of grace not only higher than the Pharisees, but higher than the other disciples. And if that was the case, then it's entirely possible that when Peter got done asking his question, got done with his conversation with Jesus, that he's waiting for uh, some type of commendation from Jesus. But it was commendation that never came. You see, forgiveness is not about setting limits. It's not about keeping a record of wrongs at all. Rather, it's about meeting people at their point of need and responding with mercy. But the heart of forgiveness is love deep, abiding, unconditional Christ like love. Don't get me wrong does indeed hold people accountable for their actions, for their good, as well as those that they've wronged. But here's the thing about God's love and the love he wants us to have for one another. It is love without a ceiling. It is love without limits. It does not, it cannot allow anything to outweigh an opportunity to redeem a lost soul. I can hear some of you say, well, that's not fair. Why should I forgive him? Why should I show mercy to her? You don't know what they've done. You don't know what they've put me through. So why should I forgive? Fair question. Why should we forgive and forgive without limit? Well, for one reason, forgiveness has a freeing effect on the person doing the forgiving. Some of the most miserable people you and I know are those who are bitter about something someone else did to them. In many cases, years and years ago, it is as if they are walking around bound up in chains. The offense goes with them wherever they go. It goes with them to family gatherings. It goes with them to work. It goes with them even to church. They're consumed by their own bitterness. You see, forgiveness not only frees the offender, it frees the offended. It allows for a more productive use of our time, a more productive use of our energy. It allows for more openness with God when we pray. It allows for more fervor in our evangelistic efforts. It allows for more wisdom when we are counseling others who themselves have been hurt, Paul writes Philippians chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. In other words, Free up your mind to think godly thoughts and God will give you godly peace. Another reason forgiveness is so important is it's the way God responds to us. And as we said before, that's what we want. We want Him to respond with love and mercy and forgiveness. But not only does He respond to us in that way, He also provides us an example to follow. Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness is the whole point of the cross. Hebrews 9.22 Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sins. See, that's why Jesus died. The night before his death Jesus took a cup at the Passover meal he gave it to his disciples and he said this is my blood of the covenant of the promise that is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Matthew 26.28 Therefore a refusal to forgive is evidence that person doesn't understand what Jesus and grace and the cross are all about. I personally believe that's why, on several occasions, such as our text, in the model prayer of Jesus back in Matthew 6, Jesus made our forgiveness contingent upon our willingness to forgive one another. At the heart of unforgiveness, if you are carrying that around with you, understand. At the heart of it is unbelief. It is a rebellion against God's plan for us. The most important reason forgiving one another is so important is that as Christians we represent God. We can spout all kinds of truths from this book about the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, and we can do so till we're blue in the face. But when we refuse to forgive, we're shouting to a lost world, God will not forgive them either. Jesus said you can identify his disciples not by the way we dress, not by the number of verses we've memorized, but by our love. And you cannot love someone you refuse to forgive. Colossians 3.12, Paul writes, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Bottom line, we forgive because we're children of God. We need no other reason. We've looked at what forgiveness is and why we should forgive, but (laughs) of course the all-important question is, how do we put forgiveness into practice? Now, if you are looking for 10 easy steps to successful forgiving, forget it. Forgiveness is not easy. If anyone tells you that it is, that person does not know what they're talking about. But there are some things that you and I can do that will help. First, remember who you are the unmerciful servant in Jesus' story forgot who he was. He forgot he was a hopeless debtor only freed by the grace of his king. And he forgot he was a fellow servant with other debtors, including the one to whom he had shown no mercy. There are only two types of people in this world. Sinners saved by grace and sinners who have not yet been saved by grace. We're not gathered here because we're good. We're gathered here because we trust the one who is. Every worship service, every communion service, every prayer offered up in faith ought to remind us who we are and what we've done and what Jesus had to do because of what we've done. Now, Don't use this as an excuse to go on some kind of guilt trip. I'm just saying this so that you will remind yourself every day you yourself needed to be forgiven. Don't forget that. And you have been forgiven in Christ. Praise God. Amen? Amen. See, Such a daily reminder will help when it comes to forgiving other sinners like yourself. Second, remember why you are here. I've always loved the music of Keith Green. Years ago he wrote some very convicting lyrics. The world is sleeping in the dark, that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. The church must awaken to the task at hand. Our job is not complaining or whining about how bad this world is. It's to seek and save lost souls. Our mission at Deer Run is loving God, loving people, following Jesus. And we cannot do any of that the way we should if we refuse to forgive others. All people need forgiveness, including those who have hurt you. Remembering that will impact the way you respond when you are called to forgive. Finally, remember where the real power to forgive comes from. Psalm 121 begins with a question. From where does my help come? And then the writer quickly answers verse 2. My help comes from Yahweh. It comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Far too often we try to forgive someone who has hurt us deeply, attempting to do so by our own power, our own self-determination. We grunt and we groan trying to forgive through natural means, and then when that doesn't work, we point an accusing finger at God. But the great truth of the matter is this. Forgiveness is not natural. Forgiveness is supernatural. Mark chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples came upon a fig tree the Lord had cursed the previous day. And now it was shriveled, it was withered. And Peter was astonished along with the other disciples. But Jesus responded, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe you have received it, and it will be yours. But I want you to notice the very next line, Mark 11.25. If you have your Bibles, mark this. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. 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 If you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. Would you notice that Jesus attaches our ability to forgive, our willingness to forgive to our faith in God. God is the source of our power to forgive others. Just as he is the source of our own forgiveness, the forgiveness God expects from us is not natural. It is supernatural. The book, The Hiding Place, tells the true story of a young girl named Corrie Ten Boom who experienced the horrors of Nazi concentration camps during World War II. Most of her family died at the hands of the Nazi regime. Her own beloved sister Betsy, who suffered with her through her imprisonment, died as a result of the cruel, inhumane treatment by their captors. Corey survived to tell her story and give glory to God for his strength throughout her ordeal. And at the end of the book, there is an account of a church service following the war. I want to read just a few paragraphs about an encounter that Corey had at the close of that service that underlines this great need for our dependence on God when it comes to forgiving one another. Corey is speaking. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. The former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers I had seen since that time. And suddenly, it was all there the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine and I who had preached so often to the people in Bloomingdale the the need to forgive kept my hand at my side. And even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I I felt nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges but on His. When He tells us to love our enemies, He gives along with the command. The love itself. Someone has said, we are never more like God than when we forgive. My prayer, my encouragement to each of you today is to go from this place and be like your Heavenly Father. If you're holding on to something in your heart against another person, let it go. Let it go. Ask God to empower you. You will be amazed what our God can do when his children pray to be like their father. Would you stand with me as we sing?